Well, welcome to The Sound of Design. With Mark. And Dan. And we are very, very... <laughs> we did it that time. We did. <laughs> uh, we are very, very thankful that you guys are here and uh, joining us. So thank you so much. Uh, go ahead and uh, click that subscribe button and uh, ring the bell. Do all of uh, the things to uh, help keep uh, the show going. We would really, really, really appreciate it. Um, today... Uh, we are uh, getting post-Thanksgiving, so we've just gone through our uh, Black Friday experiences, and everybody's had all the turkey, and you're sitting down, and you're thinking about what to get for Christmas, and in your mind, you don't know it yet, but you've imagined that there is a surround sound system in your future. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have thought it might be a good idea to do a... A whole uh, episode dedicated to audio video receivers or AVRs. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, inputs and outputs. We're going to talk about some of their key technologies. We're going to talk about the differences. We're going to talk about some of the applications, why you might go this direction or that direction. Um, and so uh, you'll get uh, everything that you could possibly need to know so you don't make the mistake uh, when it comes uh, to getting your AVR, we don't want there to be any major issues. We want you to be able to get the right one for you. So, without further ado, Mark. Dan. How, uh, let's say that I'm looking for an AVR. I just want to do something uh, entry level. And I walk in uh, to a showroom and I see 10 of them. Mm. What is the first uh thing that i should be looking for uh when i'm looking at an avr as we've kind of talked about in previous episodes um the first thing that i'm going to recommend or that you should be looking for is something that's going to have a minimum of seven channels and the reason why i would recommend that is because of dolby atmos which is one of the multiple uh sound processing codecs that are available in uh, most content today. Um, if you buy a five channel receiver, you can't really do full Atmos with that. So your, your first option should be, Hey, I need to be looking at a seven channel receiver. Um, past that, there's a lot more to kind of take into account based on, you know, a lot of different variables. So, um, as we've talked about earlier, you know, what kind of speakers are you powering? Are you going to be purchasing speakers? Do you have your eye on something that's in the future? Maybe not in the near future, but maybe a year from now. Um, a lot of those things really need to be taken to a, into account when you're looking at a new AV receiver. I love it. I love it. And I'm glad you started there because it's the biggest number that you see on the box, right? It's is it mm -hmm. 5.1 or 7.2 or 9 point whatever? And so, you know, I think the first thing that you want to call out is it's the number of speakers that you're going to drive from that receiver, right? Um, how many speakers are we going to hook up? And if you only had, for example, two speakers, you can hook up two speakers to a receiver that powers seven. You just don't use five of the channels. You could hook up three speakers to a nine-channel receiver. You're just not going to use those additional channels. So it only plays back whatever is connected to it. 
If you don't have a center channel, it doesn't send out energy to the center channel, right? Right. So, all right. Um, so we pick the number of uh, speakers and we look at that. Uh, you mentioned, you know, it, are you going to be purchasing speakers? So is there uh, kind of like maybe like a food and a wine pairing? Is there maybe a way that you could think about a receiver and a speaker as a combination? Uh, is that really a thing or, or, or am I kind of getting off base there? No, it's definitely a thing. Um, you know, before I get started, there's obviously any receiver is going to power a speaker. So I'm not here to tell you that a 300 or $400 receiver isn't going to make sound come out of a whatever the cost speaker that you plug it into. It will. It just depends on, you know, that, that speaker is going to be dependent on, um, you know, how much volume you're going to have to turn up on the receiver. You know, that's where it comes down to things like wattage and noise and other things that you've got to take into account. So when you say, is there a pairing? I would say absolutely. Typically, you know, in a lot of homes that we're doing today, even with surround sound, Architectural is a, a big focus for a lot of folks. So a lot of times people say, oh, it's in the wall. It's in the ceiling. I don't need a ton of power. I'm going to cut down to this, you know, $480 Denon receiver because, you know, it's just in the ceiling, right? I don't need a lot of power. Well, are we powering contractor grade speakers or are we powering KEF in ceiling speakers, which if, you know, you don't know Kef? Watch one of our previous episodes, but uh, <laughs> they're they're fairly uh, they they like a lot of power. Yeah. So if I plug a better receiver into that that Kef speaker, I'm not asking the receiver to work as hard to push the correct amount of output to that speaker. If that makes sense. Yep, I think so. And you know, we're 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 using the terms, so we might as well go ahead and start clarifying some of them. And uh, the first one I think is wattage. Right. So yep. wattage is that power rating. And when you look at the back of a receiver, not on the box and, you know, we'll we'll just call it out again. Common misconception, common mistake that everybody makes. You look at a box that says this receiver for 200 bucks makes a thousand watts. That is not true. Look at the power supply <laughs> on the back of it and it'll tell you the actual number, 280 watts or 430 or however many watts there are. Um, and I think the other common misconception is that more power means more volume. And I mm -hmm. think that's the other thing that I would call out when we, when we kind of say that just because this, you have a receiver that has more wattage doesn't mean that you're going to listen to it louder, but rather it will be clearer at a lower volume level. And so it's one of those really important things, and we can't say it enough. We'll sound like broken records and say this till we die. You have to think about that power rating um, in conjunction with what speaker uh, you're going to pick. And to your point, if you have a power-hungry speaker, it's not necessarily super efficient. That better power is going to be a better match for that speaker. Um, and, and I think it's it's probably also fair to say that different kinds of speakers are designed for different purposes and different kinds of sound qualities or tonality, or to use the technical term, have different timbre, 
right? And mm-hmm. so all of them are going to give you uh, the ability to pair a receiver with it. So if you have a very efficient speaker, something that doesn't require a lot of power, well, then it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to go to a less expensive unit. It just means that the power requirement may not be as great as it would be with another brand. And so you got to pick and choose. Some very expensive receivers don't have a ton of wattage, but they do a lot of other things really, really well. <laughs> and so it's like you have to look at this as part of a puzzle, right? So... All right, we've uh, we've covered uh, wattage. Okay, so let's let's think about that for um, one one part of our puzzle piece. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about number of speakers, so let's maybe kind of talk through a little bit what would be the next thing that we need to look at on a receiver that uh, should come into consideration. What do we need to to check for to make sure that we're getting what it is that we need? Sure. So. I know this is going to come as a surprise to some folks, but there are still people that utilize multiple devices that connect to a system, um, like a Blu-ray player or 4K Blu-ray player um, <laughs> or a gaming system. Uh, it's not just streaming t- from the television. Uh, no hate there. Just, you know, a lot of folks, I think, look at it as, oh, I only need this one thing. Um not necessarily the case. I have uh, in my system, my my receiver has, our processor has seven HDMI inputs. I utilize all of them. Uh, if I could buy a processor slash receiver that had more, I would probably do it because I like to have all of the video game systems hooked up at the same time because that's who I am. Um, so the point I'm getting to is we need to make sure it's got the right inputs and and, you know, maybe audio outputs, depending on what functionality you're looking for, uh, to fit your system. So how many HDMIs do I need? If I've got a legacy component like a VCR or a Nintendo 64 or something along those lines, does this receiver have um, a uh, component or composite video inputs and the ability to upscale through HDMI, or do I got to run separate video uh, to my display for that? Um, And a big one that's you know, really come on in the past several years as turntables have, have gotten more and more popular again, is a phono input. Does it have a built-in phono stage, or do I need a separate phono preamp for my turntable? So inputs, outputs, those are very important. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I like the way you said it too, which is it's based upon what you're going to connect into your system, right? And so this question is really one that you have to answer yourself. You don't know um, until you start looking at your devices and saying, okay, what am I going to connect? And there's, I think, again, this misconception, well, I'm just going to stream. It's like, well, right, until you want to watch family movies or you want to play some video games or you want to listen to music or <laughs> and like in one instance you're going like oh right yeah we want to maybe think about this as a longer term purchase and if we're thinking about this right what am i going to connect you're not answering it for today you're answering it for the next 5 to 10 years if you run a receiver okay or an AVR like this uh, the right way it can last a long time it can serve you and your family really really well So when you think about that, don't pigeonhole yourself 
and make yourself stuck by buying a receiver that doesn't give you some flexibility. That's kind of the whole point, right, is to be able to maybe do some different things, uh, not just today, but a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. Maybe I do want to play or hook up a video game. If my kid is 11, maybe they're playing a lot of video games, right? But if my kid is nine, maybe not as many, but in a couple of years, yep, that's <laughs> going to be part of the family routine. Yeah, maybe we should really, you know, think that through and, and make sure that we're good to go, you know, in uh, long into the future. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you know, just to kind of, to kind of roll up behind that, like, one thing that you really want to make sure of is if you are going to be buying a receiver that has, that's going to be, let's say, a new PlayStation 5 or Series X, Xbox is going to be connected to it. Make sure it's got enough um, what's going to be labeled as 8K HDMI ports on the back, but something that can support 4K at 120 hertz. Otherwise, you know, like mine, I only have one, so I had to run separate HDMIs on my display still because I've got multiple systems that can do that. So I'm so um, glad you said it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there, and, and it really is a problem. Like I'm like, you know, there are two competitors out there. Come on guys. Like that, that do this. Why would you only put one HDMI port on your receiver to do that? Now, a lot of receivers have since, you know, COVID really stepped their game up and brought out those, but there are a couple of outliers that still might only have one 8k or 4k 120 Hertz capable port. Yeah, and this is, uh, albeit a, a niche uh, kind of a conversation, but um, for the heavier tech user, right, where, again, let's say you run both consoles, um, you really do need to kind of think through your system design and layout to make sure that you've got everything running the way that you're supposed to. And is there a workaround? Absolutely. I get it. You could run your PS5 directly to your TV, and then you could connect your TV back to your receiver uh, using an optical port. But are you going to get Dolby mm -hmm. Atmos if you do that? No. No, you're not, actually. Uh, and so before you know it, you've cut your audio performance off at the knees because we didn't think through the inputs and outputs, and we didn't think through what was going to be connected. And so I think it's really important to kind of dive a little bit deeper, take some time and think through your system layout to make sure that you're connecting everything that you need to. Uh, I'd also like to mention, because uh, you mentioned turntables, and I know a lot of folks are bringing back the turntable, and this happens all the time. Uh, somebody will buy a turntable, they'll plug it into a receiver, and they turn it up, and it sounds distorted, and it sounds weird and gross. <laughs> <laughs> and they come into the store, and they're like, hey, my turntable is broken or my receiver is broken. It's like, hold up. Is it really <laughs> broken or did we maybe not connect this correctly? And the answer is nine times out of 10, we just didn't connect it the right way. So uh, we'll talk more about turntables uh, a little bit later, I'm sure. But they have what's called a phono level output or they have what's called a line level output. And so there's two kinds, right? So if you have a phono level output, the volume on that is so, so low that you plug it in, you turn up the amp and all you hear is the noise because that's really all you're turning up is you're just turning up more noise that the electronics themselves are introducing. 
So for turntables, they have this thing called the phono preamplifier. And that phono preamplifier takes just the signal and turns it up. And it leaves the noise in the dust. So you don't have to worry about it. So you have to decide and you have to double check. Does your turntable have one built in or does it not? If it doesn't have one built in, then you need to hook it up to the phono connection on your receiver. If it does have one built in, then you need to hook it up to a regular connection on your receiver labeled CD or cable or whatever. It doesn't matter what the label is. It all means the same thing in the end, except for phono. So just remember that if you're connecting a turntable, you got to know which one is which. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to sound right when you turn it on. So I'm glad you called out the phono to phono connection because I've had clients do the same thing. And two phonos don't make a right. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. All oh, those <laughs> terrible and awesome at the same time. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. It's just going to it's gonna amplify the noise, and it's going to be nasty, and you're just – you won't be happy. So listen to Dan's words. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, HDMI connections um, and, uh, and the phono connection, and I'll just – uh, maybe go before we jump on uh, to the next thing. I keep noticing on all of these, there's these labels above uh, each one of those HDMI inputs. Do they actually mean you got to plug in that device into that thing? Or does it not matter, Mark? I, I mean, yes, you absolutely have. No, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't matter. And, and in most cases, if you have, if it's somebody who's installing this for you, and they aren't labeling those with what's connected, you need to, to be asking them to do that because uh, ultimately it's going to make your life and their life easier should they ever have to troubleshoot something because they know, hey, I've got it you know, on this input and it's, you know, it might be media player, but maybe you have your Xbox plugged into it. They know, hey, this is the HDMI and now get to troubleshoot uh, versus, you know, just the generic, okay, which HDMI, especially if you use eight of the same HDMI cable and they didn't label it, it's a lot more difficult to troubleshoot, especially if you're someone coming in after the fact. So, um, Or yourself, if you like to tinker around like that. Uh, labeling up front will save you a lot of time and, and effort. Yep, and I do think it's important because this is one of those things I've had to do when an HDMI board starts acting wonky. Uh, which it can happen, right? Mm -hmm. It's not it's not every receiver every time, but it happens enough that um, you know you get a power surge, and let's say you're not connected to a Furman or uh, you know an AudioQuest or something like that that's going to help protect the gear, and that HDMI port, let's say it goes out. Well, just because your cable box, for example, was plugged into the cable box input, doesn't mean it has to be plugged into that one. You could go right next to it and plug it into DVD or right next to it and plug it into Blu-ray or right next to it and plug it into, you know, one of those other HDMI ports. And they're all going to work uh, the same way uh, for generic video sources. Again, video game console, different conversation, but everything else, it does not matter, right? Now we kind of have uh, a good idea about HDMI inputs. So there's one output so let's – can you walk us through maybe the signal flow uh, or the connection diagram and uh, that we would want to use for most systems 
uh, with a TV or a projector. Uh, so we get the video source uh, and the video output uh, connected the right way. So you would go, you'd pick a source, right? So cable box, Apple TV, Blu-ray player, gaming system. All of those are going to connect to the same ports on the back of your receiver. So those are going to be connected to the in ports on your receiver. So um, go out of your device with an HDMI cable into that. Now, say you've got four devices, get them all plugged in. Uh, that is then going to separate the audio and the video at the receiver uh, on the board. So it's going to send the audio to the amplifiers based on whatever receiver you have. And it's going to come out of the speaker outputs or the pre-outputs, which we can get to in a minute. Um, and then it's going to split the video and go to the HDMI out. You're then going to run an HDMI cable from the output to your display. Display meaning projector, television, monitor, whatever it is that you're using. Um, when you want to switch, you're going to switch inputs on the receiver itself. So that's where the labeling comes in. So you don't want to be going through, you know, switching inputs and go, all right, did I plug my, where did I plug my Apple TV in? Is that a media player or game one or aux one? Oh no, I just know exactly where I need to turn it on the receiver itself if you're not using a control system of some sort. Um, but that's going to then switch the inputs on the receiver to, you know, split the right video and audio to the proper areas. Um, I brought up pre-outs a second ago. That's also where your subwoofer connects. Uh, your Got subwoofer it. is typically a separate powered speaker. All of your other speakers are passive, so you utilize the amplifier built into your receiver. Uh, the amplifier is built in the receiver. The subwoofer uses that line level signal or line out. Um, so you'll go AVR or so from the AVR from one of the subwoofer pre-outs to your sub and then adjust your subwoofer volume That's however subwoofer you, you want. Yep. Yep. Well, and uh, I really appreciate the in-depth breakdown because it's saying, you know, cable box into receiver. And then mm -hmm. receiver out to TV. That's how you got to think about it. It's just, and that's kind of where the receiver got its name. Like it's receiving signal, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the, the the whole point of this device is to give us the ability to do more than one thing at a time, um, uh, so to speak. I want to be able to connect multiple devices. So this, this I think, should all make uh, pretty good sense. Um, mm hmm and you brought up the pre-outs, and so I think it's uh, really awesome that you, you mentioned the subwoofer because um, a lot of folks, I think, will uh, have an old subwoofer sitting around, like from an old Bose system, or maybe you have one from, uh, you know, your car stereo days or something along those lines, and, you know, people are looking for a way to connect that to the receiver, and it's like, it doesn't do that. <laughs> All the other speakers are fine. Your subwoofer is in a world unto itself, right? And uh, that's because it plugs into the wall, gets its own power. So, um, all right, so we've got uh, HDMI out to the display. So that's television or projector, doesn't really matter which. Um, so all that inputs and outputs should make sense. Uh, talk to me a little bit, because we've brought it up three, four times, what a pre-out is. And uh, does that happen on just any receiver, or do you have to have a special kind of or special model of receiver? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it 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 just depends on what 
what pre-outs you're looking for. And what I mean by that is, obviously, almost, well, uh, there's not an AV receiver out there that does multi-channels that won't have a subwoofer pre-out. So you're always going to have that. Where other ones can come in is um, when it comes to either multiple zones. So if you have surround sound in a living space or in a theater and there's a bar or an outdoor space that's attached or adjacent to that that has two speakers, um, but with another amplifier, you would utilize the zone two or zone three pre-output, which is typically left and right stereo, uh, to a secondary amplifier, which would power that zone. Um, the other pre-outs, which are very specific typically to your mid-tier and higher-performance receivers, are pre-outs for um, up to typically 11 to 13 to even 15 channels of processing to where, let's say, you wanted... You had a really nice pair or buying a really nice pair of speakers to add to this receiver a year later, but you know that the receiver was only 125 watts and your speakers really need three to 400 watts of power. You could utilize the front left and right pre-out of the receiver to run to that second amp. And that way, now you're sending the right amount of power to those speakers. You're sending that three or 400 watts versus the 125 watts. And at that point, you're going to disconnect the speaker wire from the, the amplifier or the speaker wire terminals on the receiver and utilize those pre-outs, which are just going to look like RCA, um, to run that signal to a secondary amplifier or amplifiers, depending on, again, the performance you're looking for. Yep, absolutely. And I I appreciate that most folks at this point, your eyes have glazed over because the technical yeah. language, <laughs> you're like, what's he talking about pre outs and, yep. you know, all this. It's just a, the, the, the way I want to tr- kind of translate a little bit for you is to say, just think about how many rooms you've got. When we say zones, we're really thinking about rooms. And when we say the word amps, we're really talking about engines for speakers. So if speakers are the tires, right? Then the engine for that is an amplifier. And I think where a lot of folks get confused and where it gets really murky is that the receiver does too many things. It does a ton of stuff. And so it's very easy for us to be like, well, it's too hard. I just don't want to deal with it. And so we won't go down that way. So, you know what? Why don't I just throw a soundbar on there? It's like, yeah, but now you've cut off your performance and you've eliminated yourself from the best audio quality that you could get. Because we didn't take a few minutes to just sort of figure out, well, what do we really need to do? Or just find someone who already knows. (laughs) (laughs) So work with your integrator. Work with the designer. Like, if you don't care, great. Hire me. I'll tell you. It's easy for me. I've been doing it for a decade. Like, it it doesn't matter. So uh, shameless plug. You know, if you don't want to deal with it, hire, hire it out and we'll figure it out for you. Um all right, so if you're a do-it-yourselfer, and we talk about mm-hmm. pre-outs, you know, again, line-level signal, uh, not speaker-level signal, and we're going to other rooms, or we're doing multi-channel audio. So that would be like your surround formats and your Dolby Atmos formats and things like that. It sounds like you kind of have some versatility. So it it in one sense, a receiver could be used for surround sound. But at the same time, you just said that it can also 
do multiple zones of audio as well. So mm-hmm. what do I need to look for to tell the difference between the purpose? If I just want music in a lot of rooms, do I buy a receiver? Or if I just want, Ooh. right? Right? Or if I want to do, you know, just a couple stereo speakers, do I like what do I buy for that? I mean, and so I think it's very easy to kind of get some of the things uh, confused. Uh, and so just help me understand like the difference between distributed audio and maybe surround sound and just touch on that real, real briefly. Yeah. Yeah. So actually funny enough, I was in the, in the store yesterday and we had a client walk in and, uh, he had talked to one of the newer folks that we have working with us right now. And they were, uh, they were like, Hey, he's asking questions about multiple rooms, but he's looking at a receiver. Like what's, what's, you know, can you come out here? And I'm like, sure. You know, I've got a little bit before I've got to get to my, one of my appointments, I'll come out there and help you. So I go out there and it was exactly this, this guy, he's got three or four zones of audio. I want to say it was four, four zones. So two speakers in each room and the receiver died on uh, Thanksgiving. Oh man. Yep. Talk about and, spoil your holiday. <laughs> yeah, and now this is like twenty something years old, is what he said. Like he bought it. Uh, well, it wasn't that long. Let's see. He said he bought it in twenty twenty ten. I think t- two thousand nine, twenty ten. So still right. fifteen yeah. years old. We'll call it fifteen, 15 years, years, right? And you know, I've we you and I know we've been here long enough. Immediately, I know exactly how this guy's got it hooked up because he's like, I've got the same looking thing, and it comes out to a box. And then that box goes to the speakers, and I can click buttons and make sound work. Um, and I'm like, well, hey, you know, really, this is this this guy here nowadays, especially. I mean, 15 years ago, it was probably made a little bit better. We can confidently say that. But this guy here really isn't designed at all to do what you're doing. Um, what I mean is that he's got a AV receiver that's. You know, he's looking at one that was like 60 watts a channel. That's an 8-ohm receiver. And he's got two wires run to a speaker selector with eight speakers connected to it. So you're asking that receiver's two channels to power four times what it's supposed to do. That sounds Meaning, like hauling with a Honda Civic. Yeah, <laughs> very, very much so. So instead of it getting its proper ohm load, which is 8 ohms, it's now at one ohm per channel because I've divided it in half every time I've added another speaker. So, really, he needed what we call a distributed audio amplifier, which is an amp that is designed to power multiple zones of audio at 50 watts a channel or 100 watts per channel or whatever it is that you want based on the quality of sound and functionality that you need. Now, those wattage conversations go back to what we started here at the beginning. What kind of speaker am I powering? How much How much power do they want? Blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, if you're doing multiple rooms of audio, a receiver, even if you hook all the speakers up and do multi-channel stereo, isn't truly designed for that. It's designed to send the proper amount of signal to multiple channels at the proper times. It's not meant to send the same amount of signal to all of its channels all of the time. Yep. It's you're going to end up burning it out and you're going to end up replacing it a lot sooner, especially nowadays 
Nothing against any of our vendors. Obviously, things have gotten less expensive to purchase, so it costs them less. They're using a little bit cheaper parts. That's the world we live in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, not to be too long-winded, but truly, if you're going to be doing multiple rooms of audio, you don't want to use your receiver to do all of that. Yep. And, and I'm really glad you said it that way, and you took us down the distributed audio rabbit trail because I think that there's this misconception. There's this problem that happens in our minds where it's like, well, can't I make it work? And I'm, we'll say this again till we're blue in the face. Uh, if just cause you can make something work, doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. We should be thinking about, well, what should I do? Because this is a long-term purchase. So if you take your receiver and you hook it up the wrong way and you burn it out in two years, well, that was a waste of money. <laughs> and what are you going to do? You're going to go back to a store and you're like, oh, I'll just buy another one. It's like, okay. So you keep buying the wrong thing over and over and over again. And it's like, nobody wants to do that. Please just don't yep. do that. <laughs> yep. Buy the thing and it, that is supposed this, to go for the thing that you're trying to do. <laughs> and this might be controversial, but a lot of times doing the wrong thing makes you go back and do the wrong thing again. And you're buying, you're really not buying what you should. You know, so then in your head, you're thinking, this isn't as good a quality now, so I'm just not going to spend the money on something nicer. When something nicer would probably do it for you, and you wouldn't be back in the store to waste that time and money, if that makes sense. Yep. And again, not to be controversial to push anyone's buttons, but really, there are things in technology that it's worth to spend the extra money to do it right the first time. Um, that is a slogan that Dan and I and other colleagues have just you know, push down everyone else's throat to be uh, as straightforward as possible. Like doing it right the first time, even if it's a little bit more or a lot of bit more, it depends on what you're wanting. It's going to make the experience better for you and you won't have to worry about coming in in two years to replace it. Yep. And, and I think that's really the, the difference in the game, right? It's like, you know, you can get a hamburger from McDonald's nothing wrong with a hamburger with McDonald's. But if that's all you ate, wasn't there a documentary, right, about mm -hmm. the detrimental effects <laughs> of doing the wrong thing over and over? Every once in a while, all right, not a big deal, but, you know, definitely not a daily practice. And I think, you know, it, the same holds true for audio equi equipment. So, all right, mm -hmm. well, we've gone off uh, a little bit of a tangent, so we're going to get back on track a little bit <laughs> uh, because we now have, I think, a clear purpose, which is um, – we we look at a receiver and it says seven channels and two zones. Um, so we know that we have our main purpose is really video integration. So I think that's kind of to, to sum up what we've been saying. If you have a TV or a projector, then yeah, we need an AV receiver. That makes sense. If we're just doing music, that's a different conversation. We should do that thing over there. So uh, let's go to uh, the scenario where... I have, say, more than seven channels. Like we have a dedicated media room or a theater room or something like that that we're going to use. And we want to have nine speakers or 11 speakers do a proper, uh, you know, Dolby Atmos style room. Uh, what do I need to watch out for for receivers in that category? Because they're going to be a little nicer. Okay. So mm -hmm. now you're in that, you know, 1500 to two grand kind of a range, you know, three grand, four grand depending on the manufacturer and what you want it to do. So this is going to be a bigger investment. What, what do we need to make sure we are really checking to make sure uh, that is 
is is is uh, the best choice possible. Sure. So this is really where you know those pre outs, in my opinion, are going to come into play. And I'm not saying that you're going to need separate amps across the whole board, but we're going to kind of get to that. So um, typically, when you're doing that many channels, you're going to be looking at a nine or an eleven or thirteen channel receiver, um, and that's great for an all-in-one solution, um, but it might not be the best for the speakers that you're choosing. So what I'm getting at is um, one of the projects I've talked about on the podcast before, client has five ear-level speakers and four in-ceiling speakers with four subwoofers, okay? Um, the in-ceiling speakers are $2,500-ish a piece, so they're pretty nice. The ear level speakers are ten grand a piece. Wow! So now I have nine speakers. I could buy the Marantz Cinema Forty and power those today. But what's going to happen as I turn the volume up and try to get that experience that I'm looking for? I'm going to have to push it really hard. I'm I'm probably getting up to eighty or ninety on the volume scale of zero to one hundred before I'm really feeling anything, and it's probably pretty noisy. Because I'm asking that receiver to do all of the work with the video, with the audio, and all the other components inside of it, just bringing out that noise. So that's where I would utilize separate amplifiers or, in some cases, a separate preamp processor versus an AV receiver. Um, That's going to look like an AV receiver from the front. But when you turn it around, you'll notice that it's missing speaker terminals and it's going to have... XLR and RCA in its place. And that means that it's going to take the amplification completely out of that box and allow you to then purchase the proper amplifiers for the amount of speakers that you have. So that client I just mentioned has nine Macintosh MC611 amplifiers. So a little over 600 watts a channel per speaker times nine. I can't count that high. I was just at his house last week. I go over there all the time. He actually he wants us to film some stuff in his in his home. So we'll be out there probably in the next month or so. Um, he didn't want to be on. He didn't want to be in the video, but he he definitely <laughs> wants us to be out there. Um, um, but that being said, he only has to turn it to like forty five fifty before it's like there's a space shuttle going off in this room. You know, like it's the whole system it just you feel the sound and there's no noise in that he can actually turn it down to like 30 at night and hear what everyone's saying and not be waking his family up upstairs or you know bothering them if they're watching tv in another room because the whole house is kind of open to itself yep um well so i think it makes i think it makes sense because you're saying you know we need to make sure we have enough power to match the speaker and that's kind of really Going back to our previous thread, it's the it's the concept of matching, right? Just like food and wine, like I got to have a pairing. So I got to think about how am I going to pair this unit with the speakers that I have and knowing what the correct ohm load is, knowing what type of power handling they have, knowing are they going to be efficient or not efficient. Like those things are going to play into the, the buying decision, right? And the design choice that we have to make. You know, I think it's fair to say that we wouldn't expect a $200 unit to drive $50,000 worth of speakers. 
In fact, just saying it out loud, it's ludicrous on its face. <laughs> it's like, no, that $200 receiver is not going to work here. Like, we need to look at something else. Um, but at the same time, let's say you have those contractor-grade speakers, and we're starting out, and it's our first system, and, you know, it's your first home, and, you know, we want to do surround sound, but we don't have fifty grand to spend. You know, we have five. Okay. Well, you know what? Maybe we should look at an all-in-one. Maybe we should mm-hmm. look at, you know, and so you're just trying to match that speaker to the receiver, right? You're trying to to find that correct pairing. And, and, and once, and, and if you're not sure, really the best thing to do, honestly, is to grab a designer, grab somebody who knows with a model number and say, hey, this is what it is. The amazing thing about uh, technology today from uh, internet search perspective is like we have access now to technical specs for gear for the last like 20 years. So I can't tell you the number of times I walk into somebody's house and they're like, I don't know what this is. And it's like, okay, well, let's take the cover off. Let's take a look at, at what's going on or let's look at the back and let's find a model number and a quick Google search, you know, later. And you're going like, Oh, it's uh, this really nice Vienna acoustics. And it's got this type of uh, wattage handling and it's going to have these types of connections on the back and it's going to be compatible with these types of receivers. And, you know, you don't realize it, but that was a really nice pair of speakers uh, in its day. And even for today, right. You may consider mm-hmm. doing something like a, a, a nicer Marantz or a nicer Denon or something like that. Um, and not to disparage other companies, but just to say we do a lot of their stuff and, uh, and yep. they, they, they tend to do very well. Um, so uh, what are, uh, as we kind of, you know, we've teased a little bit into, into separates. And mm-hmm. so I think it's fair to say that once you've paired the correct performance level, number of speakers, we've thought through all the different connections um, and what we're going to connect to it and all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff has now kind of been taken into consideration. There's all sorts of weird stuff that I see on these things. And I just mm-hmm. don't understand what a lot of it means, right? So, um, you know, I see things like, you know, hyperdynamic amplifier modules and, mm. you know, uh, pure direct mode and toroidal power supplies and, um, you know, things along those lines. Do I have to worry about a lot of that stuff? Um, is that going to make a, a, a huge difference in my sound? Or, you know, is this more just like techno babble? <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously, everyone's going to have their their differentiators, right? So you you brought up the uh, the the hyperdynamic amplifier module. That's something that's exclusive to Marantz products, and they developed that technology a long time ago. Um, realistically, you know, that in my opinion is is a big differentiator. Um, it makes their receivers more efficient. So, you know, let's say they advertise a certain amount of, of wattage. Uh, that makes that receiver 70% efficient, meaning that it's never going to go below 70% of that advertised wattage at however many watts per channel that it's advertising. So if it says it's 100 watts per channel with all channels driven, you're going to never go below 70 watts a channel with everything running at the same time. That's a big deal. And yep. that's that's ultimately why you'd pay for Emirates over their sister company Dinan. Um, it's typically about a thousand dollar five to five hundred to a thousand dollar difference. And but 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 with Dinan, you you might be getting fifty percent 
you might be getting 40%, depending on which one you're buying. Typically, their in-command series or X-series models are a little bit better. Um, but still, um, that is something you want to pay attention to. Now, things like Dolby Atmos and this, that, and the other, obviously, yes, it's important based on some of the other factors we were talking about. Um, but, you know, the only other thing I would look for is, and it's very important based on the room that you're putting in, is what type of calibration is offered on the receiver you're looking at. Yep, absolutely. So, so if it's Marantz um, or Denon, they are going to use Odyssey, different levels of Odyssey, depending on which model you're going with. And some of the higher-end Marantz also has Dirac or Dirac, however you want to say it, um, which is the same calibration that is offered on uh, JBL and Arcam. Yep. Um, and in my opinion, just my opinion, probably some of the best calibration software out there. Yep. And I would agree with you. Uh, there are some others, Room Perfect being one, and uh, there are mm-hmm. some 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 real high end uh, calibration softwares that are uh, that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's important to maybe sum up just because you don't understand what maybe one of those things is. You have to ask, is that a. Uh, brand specific technology, right? That's being a differentiator or is that a technology that everybody has to kind of fall in line with? Is this one that I have to worry about, you know, is only available on this unit? Well, then that's going to be what, in my opinion, not a secondary technology in the sense that it's worth less, but rather I have to just put it in its own category. I have to say that's only available in this line. Great. Awesome. So we can learn about that, and that'll make sense for those guys. These guys over here are going to have something different. You know, Yamaha does uh, their own ver- variation on uh, calibration. Wipeout, mm-hmm. I think, is the way that it's called. And yep. it does a great job. It's awesome. Does that mean that it's better or worse then? Well, you got to listen to them. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of folks are able to just buy a receiver and listen to the calibration technology, <laughs> right? Like, I'm sorry, until you do, you know, a couple thousand systems, like you don't really know until you start listening. You can say, oh, this is how this this one works and this is how that one works. So I would just say you want to maybe put that in a special category and understand, like, there's really not a fair way to judge some of those things as the end consumer. So, again, work with your designer. Ask the question. What do you like? What have you seen in the field? What are some of the things that you experience when you're doing these things? And when you start hearing people say, yeah, Dirac or Dirac is awesome. And, you know, it's not to say that Odyssey was bad. It just means that, you know, this other one might be better or Room Perfect, right? Macintosh uses that. And some of the other high-end brands will use that as well. That's going to be even better then, right? Well, why? Well, there's a better chip. There's a better processor. It recognizes a lot more information. It has more headroom. It has all these other things that are going to lead to a better audio experience for you as the end user. And so we just want to make sure, right, that we're advising folks to maybe make those decisions fully informed. And until you actually ask some opinions and maybe get two or three opinions and say, yeah, everybody seems on this consensus, this seems to make the most sense. Um, you have to kind of go with a little bit of groupthink I th- in this particular case because it's so hard to really judge fairly in a lot of cases. Um, and, and I bring this up, I think, a little bit as a pet peeve because I'm so frustrated 
about people arguing online all the time. <laughs> Okay, using this microphone to test this thing. And it's like, man, there are so many variables that are going into this that at a certain point you have to look at it and say, your specs aren't real. Like, I wish that they were, but you got to <laughs> toss them out. Like, they're just, they're like the numbers that, you know, an NFL player has at the combine, I think is the best mm -hmm. way to say this, right? Like, <laughs> I understand he's 6'8, I understand he runs a 4'4, I understand that he seems pretty accurate. But there's no substitute for being able to actually play the game, right? Just because yep. it looks good on a scorecard and those things are real and they are important. That's just not the whole story. <laughs> so, like, let's sure. have that conversation to make sure that we're having the, the whole conversation, not just part of the conversation. <laughs> All right. So we've talked uh, a little bit about uh, some of the extra stuff. Um, what else do we need to look for? Um, when it comes to uh, integration specifically, a lot of our customers, uh, they don't want to have to deal with any of this. And if they've made it to the end of the episode, I'd be amazed. Uh, <laughs> so if you're, we, the, I'm sure we've got some loyal listeners that are still here, Dan, that, it's all that good. Are still, still we're here up. to help you. Hey, For those of you, you know who are what? here, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Honestly though, like really it's, that's why we exist. I mean, we're trying to make it easy for you all, but please like, we like talking this stuff to everybody, so let us help you, not to do a shameless plug, but that's what we're here for. So if this is getting a little complex still, reach out reach to Dan out. or myself, and we'll help you out. But yep. uh, go ahead. I interrupted your perfectly thought out question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which was to say, uh, how do we need to look at integration uh, with a control system and uh, with other devices? Uh, what are the things we're going to look for? Like I see 12-volt triggers. And mm -hmm. I see, you know, RS-232, especially on some of those nice, nicer models. Um, mm -hmm. What does that stuff mean and, and why, why, why do I care about it? Yeah. Um, so while you and I love what receivers do because they're like the brain of a lot of the systems that we design, uh, they're not the prettiest things to most people because it's just a big box, black or silver box that's going to sit that you would have to sit out in the middle of the room and look at every day. And while you and I could appreciate it, most people don't. So we want to hide this thing. Um, so we'll hide it in a rack or in a you know, piece of furniture or something along those lines, meaning now we've got to be able to control it. Um, so uh, your higher-end receivers are going to have that serial or RS-232 uh data connection on the back of it it's going to look like a reverse vga connection if you're familiar uh, with the yep. vga port it's got all the it's like old computer cables right yeah yep it's got the little two screws with like the you know whatever um and then uh so you've got that option you've got a network connector uh, connection which means most control systems can control things over ip uh so it uses that specific receiver's network ip address to send it on off and put switch commands um and then ir is available on any of them but that's a line of sight typically if you're hiding it somewhere you have to put a little eye on it which can come unglued or um, be knocked off when you're dusting or whatever just fall off randomly um so it's usually not the most reliable so networking and and network ip and rs232 are very important and then you, you brought up the 12-volt triggers. 
those are typically utilized to control secondary devices like additional amplifiers. So I have a Macintosh amp that's powering my two front speakers. When I turn the receiver on, I don't want to have to go to the Macintosh amp and turn the knob separately. I can have the receiver send a a 12-volt signal to trigger that over a stereo, uh, what you're going to, what you would call an auxiliary cable, but a TRS cable. Yeah, 3.5 millimeter. Um, Or I could have it trigger a projector screen or something along those lines. So typically things that, you know, give me a secondary form of control to control multiple devices when the receiver turns on, which is pretty awesome, honestly. Well, and... I'm sure people will remember if you've had a receiver from 20 years ago or 30 years ago, they used to have power outlets on them, right? And so it's one of those things where, like, you could turn the receiver on and then the devices that were connected to it would automatically click on. Um, And, uh, you know, it wasn't a bad strategy. Uh, I just don't think it was the ultimately the right execution. <laughs> so today, like we don't have power outlets on the back of a receiver anymore. Uh, you have these triggers, um, and to your point, like you just plug a wire in, and it'll click on the next device, and so that makes it really easy uh, to turn on lots of pieces of gear all at the same time, or to turn off a bunch of gear all at the same time. You turn the receiver off. And the screen retracts back into the ceiling and the projector turns off and your amplifiers turn off and all those kinds of things. And so you start thinking about some of those nicer receivers. And I have three 12 volt triggers on it. Well, why? Well, because in a dedicated theater, I have a screen, a projector and an additional amplifier. Then guess what? I'm going to need at least three 12 volt triggers (laughs) to run those three devices. Right. And so it's not rocket science in one sense, but if you don't know what it's there for, then you don't know how to really, you know, hook all that stuff up. They just become, uh, you know, extra or uh, unused ports. So you don't really get all the options that you need. And likewise, if you don't have a screen and you don't have another amp and you don't have a projector, I don't need the 12 volt triggers. So I'm buying technology I may not necessarily need. Um, so you just want to think through again, you know, work with your designer and uh, let's ask all the right questions. It doesn't take that long. Once you get through it, then you pick the right one. Then you're off to the races. So, all right. Well, we have covered a ton uh, on uh, AVRs. Um, is there anything that uh, we haven't touched on that you feel like we really should? And uh, there's uh, maybe one or two things I can think of, but we've covered quite a bit. Um, you know, the the one thing that, that I point out um, – with a lot of receivers is a lot of them have added Bluetooth and Wi-Fi functionality for music playback. Yep. Um, th- that's great. Um, but I usually would recommend don't necessarily shop a receiver just because of that, because there are devices that do it better. Um, and maybe that's just me standing on a pedestal for a second. Um, but you know, if you're ultimately looking at getting the best sound quality for music out of these things, having a separate device that's going to have a better uh, digital analog converter or something along those lines is important to look into. Because ultimately, just like smart TVs, smart receivers have have to put this stuff in here, but they're going to probably buy the stuff as cheap as possible so they could say, hey, this thing's smart, right? Um, yep. But if you want to stream, get yourself a... 
Blue Sound node or, uh, you know, a Rune or a Sonos port or whatever it is that you want to do to stream the audio to get that better sound quality versus just using what's in the amp yep. or AV receiver. Well, and there is, like I've seen on a lot of them, like AirPlay is built in and you'll see on a lot of them Alexa or Google Home or any of those uh, technologies are built in. And uh, here I would really tell folks those are truly secondary. <laughs> There's not a nicer way to to say it. It's not that it's it doesn't work. Yeah, it it may work and it may work for a short time, but that's uh, probably the uh, the least thought of portion of that particular unit. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, you always have like two or three steps. You know, I got to open this app and then I got to go do this thing and then I got to turn it on and I got to make sure it's synced and. You know, at the end of the day, it's actually not a more convenient solution, even though it's built in and it does it right. It's it's something that you're going to have to probably have a couple extra steps to do. So, yep. uh, well, awesome. 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 Um, we uh, I think we've covered it. So we will say thank you for listening to The Sound of Design. With Mark and Dan. Uh, click subscribe. Uh, go ahead and ring the bell, uh, drop us, uh, some comments. That stuff really does help, uh, to, uh, keep this uh, thing going, uh, like comment and share with your friends. Um, if you guys have questions, feel free to reach out to us at the sound of design.com. Um, and, uh, look for, uh, some upcoming episodes. We've got a ton more guests that are, uh, slated to come on. So, uh, just be on the lookout for that. And, uh, we've got uh, some other things in the works. Uh, we're uh, very, very excited about uh, heading into the new year as well. So uh, we really appreciate it. We will see you on the next episode. See ya.